Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, team. Please take a seat, everyone. So much to do in so little time. Uh, this is uh, a little story that I read, and I'm going to read it to you now. In 1991, Iraq tried to provoke Israel by firing 39 missiles into Israeli territory. Despite this, Israel did not retaliate, and miraculously, they managed to stay out of the Gulf War. Many Iraqi Scud missiles were intercepted by Patriot missiles by the, from the US, but not all of them. And yet, throughout all the numerous strikes on the West Bank, there was not a single death. Two missiles disappeared. They're unaccounted for, and to this day, they've never been found, and no one knows where they went. They just went somewhere and didn't do anything. Another missile struck a garbage dump and for some reason didn't explode. One missile landed several feet away from a petrol station, which could have caused major devastation, but incredibly, it also did not explode. Multiple missiles missed Iraq's intended targets, instead landing in the Mediterranean Sea, and one was actually blown off course by an inexplicable wind current. And there were other missiles that did actually hit and explode, one of them exploded between two buildings and yet while the buildings were destroyed, no one was actually lost. No, no one was killed. Now, not everyone realizes the magnitude of the miracle that this is until tragically you recognize, and here's the kind of kicker, that at the same time in the same campaign, over 40 U.S. service men and women were killed in a single Iraqi missile strike on a U.S. marine bunker in Saudi Arabia. So it's incredible. Uh, the fact of all of these things happening is proof to me, I think, and, and proof for everybody, that God is looking out for people, different people at different times. Last time I told you a story about the U.S. So what I'm doing is actually finishing up part two of what I started in November last year, which was, so you've got to think back now, don't you? Second Chronicles chapter 20 is where we are based. As Christians, our interaction with God, the world and others, can be experienced either in one of two realities. They're both real, um, the visible, the natural, um, that's, that's real, or the fix our eyes on what is, not on what is seen, but on the unseen, beyond the natural realm. That's also real. And I think many times we just discount that beyond the natural because we're so engrossed in the natural, in the, what we might call the permanent. The Apostle Paul encourages us to live by faith, not by sight. To focus on the eternal rather than the temporary. To see, quote marks, the greater purpose, the better promise, the fuller revelation of God's presence. As my Bible college dean of students used to say, to be naturally spiritual and spiritually natural. To be able to move in both the realms, both realities, both uh, types of perception. 
So I've been strongly challenged that we don't have to wait for this to be our story, uh, recognising beyond the natural. Um, We prayed this morning in the prayer meeting about the God of transformation. And in Romans, Paul says, let God transform us into new people by changing the way we think. Other versions say the renewing of our mind. Um, Because the behavior and customs of the world, according to Paul, are not always compatible with the way God operates. We We can't take our lead from the world. We take our lead from the word. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, and in the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, that places us in a prime position to move beyond the natural into a future of changed perception. So we now we have the opportunity to move into a place where we see things differently. Are you ready? Are you ready to move into that kind of perception? Our willingness to step into that is matched by the Holy Spirit's bountiful provision. Uh, he's ready to manifest the presence of God amongst us. He's ready to lead us as change agents in our communities. And the best way we can be a change agent in our community is to be aware of what God is doing. And to be aware of what God is doing, we have to see what God is doing, which not always is something we see with our physical eyes. We have to see in the Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is just as fresh, just as able, just as lively, just as powerful, just as gentle. He's never depleted. He's never at a loss. He's never taken by surprise. He's always on time. He's always on task. And he's always on target. That's the Holy Spirit. He knows the pulse. He knows the rhythm. He knows our faith journey. He's always about heart health, spiritual fitness, joyful resilience, active revelation, and the provision of power. When we meet opposition and resistance, they're just simply the catalysts for growth in our spiritual faith, our muscle of faith, because life happens. Our first response to meeting resistance might be a natural perspective. But we're called to go beyond natural. James writes, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Today we're going to conclude this study of a great example of how a test of faith to believe God works beyond the natural turned into a time of blessing and praise. And as I said, it's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and it's the first 30 verses. So I'm going to review what we looked at last time very quickly. The first point I made was found in the opening verses, 1 to 4, which has come up on the screen, and I'm going to read that for you now. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea from Syria and they are in Hazazon Tamar. 
which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared. My first point last time was don't stop at the comma. You see, En Gedi was 41 kilometers from Jerusalem. It's about the same distance from here to Sydney uh, Olympic Park. And there was three kings coming against Jehoshaphat. No wonder he feared. That's uh, like a very short distance away, almost on Jerusalem, pretty much. Um, fear is a natural response. It can stop us and make us inactive. Fear is putting our faith in the wrong place. Uh, fear is always the opportunity for God to move. I love this quotation from a Methodist missionary. I'm inwardly fashioned for faith, not fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. By fear, oh, sorry, excuse me. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear. Doubt and anxiety are troublesome. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. These are not my native air. But in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. Don't stop at the comma. Let's read on. The rest of verse 3. And he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. I love that use of that word set. He set himself. That means he put himself in a position. He, he didn't fear. He put himself in a position and he sought the Lord. In fact, he proclaimed a fast. Now, I find it interesting that we find ourselves in the middle of a fast period here at church. And I know that for many people, fasting is completely understood. But many people don't understand fasting. Many people uh, and I, I think there's been a bit of a watering down of the idea of fasting in the over time. So it becomes something like, well, we can fast. Uh, we'll make it fit with my lifestyle. Um, I'll make it kind of so it doesn't hurt me much, so it doesn't cost me anything, so it doesn't interrupt my lifestyle, um, and I'll just move on with the rest of my life. But that kind of fasting that we're talking about... Um, in our church, is beyond lifestyle. It's beyond comfort. It's beyond natural. We want to fast so that we put ourselves in a position when we give up the thing that we are fasting from, that we put ourselves in the position to be involved and engaged with God so that the communication between God is enriched through our fasting. Um, it's a wonderful thing to be engaged in that type of fasting, to listen to God, take the time that you would normally have used to fill up with the other thing that you're fasting from and to use that to communicate with God and for him to communicate with you. I'm going to pray for all of us now that we might really this week in this final week of the fast, and if you haven't started fasting, you forgot about it or something, look, start today. Fast for a week. It's going to change your perception of God. It will take you from the natural to beyond natural. So let me pray for us as a church. Heavenly Father, it's so good that you give us opportunities to test our discipline and our faith in you. Lord, I pray for every person 
who's in the building now and who may be watching online. I pray as we fast this week, whatever capacity we have selected to fast, I pray that we would really push in to God. I pray that we would really use the opportunity to seek you for ourselves, our families and our church family. Lord, let us not give up that thing that we've chosen to give up and then do nothing. Speak to us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Revolutionize us in Jesus' name. Change us. Turn us around. Make us different people. Transform us by the power of the Holy Spirit. May this time of prayer and fasting be outside of the box. Uh, another level in Jesus' name. Not, not ordinary. We, we pray against the ordinary. We speak against it in Jesus' name. We speak the beyond natural into being in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. As we read on in Second Chronicles, we see at the bottom end of this little section was the main point I was wanting to get at. So let's read on from verse 5. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard of the temple of the Lord and he prayed, O Lord, our God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us and you will hear us and rescue us. And now... See what the armies of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt, so they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. So those last, that last verse particularly, verse 12. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. And that was the second point of the message. You see what you look at. Jehoshaphat says, we're looking to you for help. That's a great place. You know, in, in, our, in our 21st century life, people tend to look at everything else for help. People tend to think the natural, what we have come to know as the natural, for assistance, medical profession, uh, fitness people, um, teachers, doctors, lawyers, when we should, first of all, have our eyes on God. The three things were, we don't know what, we're powerless, one. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Just remember that. 
powerless. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you because that's going to come back in the last section of the verse that we're looking at today. I think we can thank our forefathers and ancestors a lot. In the 1300s, there was a movement. It was called Renaissance. Um, it was called the Awakening. Um, and it was where there was a lot of beginnings of scientific discovery. And people began to trust in science more than they trusted in God. And we are... Uh, examples of so many generations on where we put our hope in scientific breakthrough. Um, we look for the miracle from science, not from the miracle from God. Now, it's not to say that God can't work through science. And I've, as I've been reading, I'm led to believe that there are more scientists now who have a profession of faith than ever before. So God's at work. He's doing stuff um, beyond the natural but let's get past the idea that the answers are in humanist thinking scientific um, thinking uh, medical let's get past that and think the answers are all in God that's where our answers lie that's the beyond natural now God will use all of the things because God is God he will use all of the things but he is the ultimate answer in the universe then we looked at this section, the battle is not yours. Verse 13, we're reading, As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. See, the Holy Spirit is a game changer. They weren't sure what to do. They didn't know what to do. They were powerless, but they were looking to God. Now here comes God, the Holy Spirit, the game changer. He came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, a descendant of Asaph, who was a cymbal player and songwriter back in the day of David. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Remember Jehoshaphat feared? Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Now, discouragement there is, uh, has a meaning of falling to pieces, broken in pieces. Don't be discouraged. It's like, ah, everything's shattered. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. The battle is not yours. It is God's. And when he mentions God there, he's talking Elohim, the Supreme One, strength and might. Tomorrow, march out against them. You'll find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, stand still and watch the Lord's victory. Remember the three things that they, they said at the end of the prayer? We're powerless. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. Here's God's response to them. We don't, you will not even need to fight, verse 17. Powerless. We don't know what to do. Take your positions and stand. We don't know what to do. There it is. Our eyes are on you. Watch the Lord's victory. 
The three things in the prayer, God replies through the Holy Spirit. And then to encourage them a little bit more, he says, He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. That is the Lord Jehovah. He is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshipping the Lord. And then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. I really love this bit here because you may remember I talked about in that little section we've got people bowing low to the ground, prostate trait, prostrate on the on the floor prostrate on the floor and then we've got people standing up and shouting with a loud voice it's all in the same moment uh, and I want to encourage us that we can be like that today our expression of praise doesn't have to be the natural expression uh, I'm going to encourage you to break out break out I love this because they broke out, and this is what Spurgeon says. That's the way you should deal with God. Quoting from Spurgeon, before the deliverance comes, praise him. Praise him for what is coming. Adore him for what he is going to do. No song, listen to this, no song is so sweet, methinks, in the ear of God, as the song of a man or a woman who blesses him for grace he has not tasted yet. For what he has not got, but what he is sure will come. The praise of gratitude for the past is sweet, but the praise is sweeter which adores God for the future, in full confidence that it shall be well. Therefore, Take down your harps from the willows, O you people. Praise ye the name of the Lord. Though the fig tree still does not blossom, and still the cattle die in the stall, and still the sheep perish in the fold, though there should be to you no income to meet your want, though you should be brought almost to necessity's door, still bless the Lord whose mighty providence cannot fail and shall not fail so long as there is one of his children to be provided for your song while you are still in distress will be sweet music to the ear of God that's cool eh? I'm going to ask Hannah to come and just uh, provide a little background music here I'm going to quote from a song that we sang earlier today I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. Think about that. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. Now, it's not just a melody. It's a melody with the intention of praise. It's a melody with a lyric going on in your head that is praising God. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. I wonder when we sang that song earlier this morning, was that going on in your mind? 
Did you have something in your mind that you were thinking, I'm raising a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies? The thing which is troubling you, the thing which is concerning you, you're raising a hallelujah. You, this morning you're praising God in that situation. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief, the, the natural thought that this is my life, this is how it's going to be. You raise a hallelujah louder than that. Will you raise a hallelujah with a melody? Even if you're not the best singer in the world, it doesn't matter. God's interested in that, that sound of praise. It's a sound of praise, the melody of praise. It doesn't say make a joyful, uh, it doesn't say make a tuneful noise. It says make a joyful noise. I raise a hallelujah and heaven comes to fight for me. It's the doorway. Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 20. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. They set out and Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord, your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. I love it. The king's leading the people and he's standing. Again, he's making a stand. He's taking a position and he's encouraging the people. And he says, have faith in God. Remember that word that the uh, spirit said through the prophet uh, earlier on in the verses? He said, don't be discouraged, which meant be broken to pieces. Here in Jehoshaphat's prayer, he's saying, have faith, have faith. And the faith there is referring to like a pillar, a strong framework, um, a, a support. It's the opposite of discouragement. So the king is bringing the people together, faith in God and lifting them up. It's a wonderful thing that the king decides to do that. And this, this always amazes me, this next section. After 21, verse 21, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Now, there's so many great things here. Praise, the word praise there is halal. It means spin around and be kind of crazy you know uproariously loud um, he wanted the people to praise God for what his splendor his holiness how separate God is how distinctive God is praise him for that as they went out at the head of the army they um, it's really interesting because this kind of praise wasn't mandated God didn't say to them and I want you to praise me as you go out. But this is something that the, that the king led the people in. He led the people in praise, not because they had to, but because they wanted to. And look what they said, give thanks, which is another praise term, yada. Now, yada means to throw, to shoot, or to cast. It's like you're praising God, you're shooting arrows. You're praising God, you're shooting arrows. You're attacking the enemy when you praise God. Now, you want to try something with me? Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Can you say that? Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. All right, you ready? Now, this is the Marines hymn. This is how I see they were doing it, right? 
Give thanks unto the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. Give thanks unto the Lord of lords. Come on, Fiona. His love endures forever. Right. And they would have been dancing and... It's hard to imagine going out to a battle with three-nation army, but that's what they did. I believe they were singing that. There's Psalm 136 where every other line is, give thanks unto the Lord for his love endures forever. Maybe they were reciting that psalm, singing it, and they were going out and they were shooting arrows. It didn't look like they were shooting arrows. It looked like they were singing and dancing, but they were shooting arrows. Now look at verse 22. My goodness, my goodness. As they began to sing and praise. As they began. The word praise here is tehillah. And it's a song of thanksgiving. So here's another way you can praise God. Giving him thanks. But as they began to sing, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. And they were all defeated. And here's how it happened. And who knows how it happened? I don't know. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they'd finished slaughtering those men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Who would have thought? That is totally beyond natural. And it says they were doing this singing while they were... They hadn't even joined the battle. They were a long way off from the battle. So they're singing and praising, shooting their praise arrows up to God and to the enemy. Meanwhile, they haven't even seen the enemy. They've got to come around the corner to see the enemy. Meanwhile, the enemy is busy. The three-nation army, two of them have ganged up together against the third nation, wiped them out. And then those two nations that ganged up together are now fighting each other and they've destroyed each other completely. There's no enemy. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants wants us to have that same praise attitude. I feel that very strongly today. He wants us to be walking, shooting the arrows of praise. In the supermarket, at school, in the gym, wherever you are, shoot those praise arrows. Who knows what battle is going to be won in Jesus' name. Well, verse 23. Oh, I read that already. Verse 24. Now, the army comes around the corner. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert, they looked out toward that vast army. They saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. You know, the same word that used for when Jehoshaphat was prostrate on the ground, lying down prostrate on the ground. It's the same word here, all the dead bodies lying on the ground. Can you see an irony in that? Isn't it beautiful? They cast down and they they were cast down. They were dead. Jehoshaphat was cast down, lying down and very much alive and full of the Holy Spirit. 25. Then Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off the plunder. 
And they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. And this is why it's called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Now, Baraka means blessing. And when they praised the Lord, it's another word for praise, Barak. We can see how they're... um, Related, which means to bless or to kneel. So we've got another opportunity to praise God in a different way, to bless or to kneel. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. Do you note there in verse 27, it said they were going to a battle. They probably kissed their wives and their families goodbye and headed off wondering would they see them again verse 27 says all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned all of them all of them returned how many of the enemy were destroyed all of them so God has worked a mighty miracle and again we see God's irony it's so funny in a sense that there are all of the people coming back to Judah and Jerusalem and all of the enemy are dead and they didn't have to lift a finger. It was God, God, God. Yeah, they entered Jerusalem, verse 28, and they went to the temple of the Lord with harps, lyres and trumpets. What were they going to do there? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord again. So if we've got harps, lyres and trumpets, let's get the band up. We've got a few harps, lyres and no trumpets, but we've got Alfred and uh, we've got drums. And we've got a bass guitar. They didn't have them. Imagine the size of the chord you'd have to have if you're doing a bass guitar marching. And, well, it says, verse 29, the fear of the Lord came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. If I was a surrounding kingdom, I would also have the fear of God on me. Because that stories like that, they, uh, they travel pretty quick. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for God had given him rest on every side. Isn't that lovely? Do you remember at the start, Jehoshaphat feared? And now we've got the fear of God coming on all of the surrounding kingdoms. And no doubt the fear of God was also on Judah and Jerusalem. So I'm going to encourage us now as uh, we finish up to think if you're, I'm going to encourage you to break out, okay? To break out in praise. There's lots of different ways that we've encouraged you to praise throughout the scripture here this morning Um, it may be that you've never lifted your hands maybe you've done that I want to encourage you today in this lovely environment see see just think about there's you and there's God and you've got I've got so much you've got so much to praise God for if you can give God a praise like that Uh, if you are a If you are a person that wildly lifts your hands, maybe you might 
like to try and move some other part of your body. Um, you might like to stomp or jump or something like that. You might spin. Woo! Now, everyone here, is, everyone here mostly, I almost lost my voice in the first part of the singing, but most of us have got voices. They may not be necessarily tuneful. There's this great thing I saw some South African women do where they go, Now, I want uh, Jesse Noble to demonstrate. No, I don't. <laughs> you, might, you might like to do um, some vocalizing of praise. Not necessarily a melody, but it's an expression of joy. Um, what else can we have? Kneeling down. You might see, oh, look, there's not enough space. You might sit. You might kneel down. There might be space in your row to kneel. But I want to encourage you, use the aisles. Come down the front. If there is something like Jehoshaphat had these three-nation army coming against him, if you've got something that you feel is coming against you, if you've got something that you want to stand for, like Jehoshaphat stood, took up a position, and he waited on God and the Holy Spirit came, if you've got something like that in your life, while we are all praising God, we're praising God before, we're praising God in the middle, and we're praising God after everything that's happened. If you've got something that is yet to, yet to see a breakthrough, I'm going to encourage you to come and stand at the front and be involved in the praise. I don't know whether people will pray with you. I just know that if you praise God, you're shooting arrows at that thing. You're shooting arrows at that thing. And I'll tell you what, it cannot stand. So we're going to sing, That's the Power of Your Name. What a beautiful song choice. Thank you, whoever chose that song. That's the power of your name. And when we get, when we get to the bridge, I see you moving in and taking ground. And your power is dangerous to the enemy camp. Let's, let's dwell on that a little bit. And let's stand together. Sit, kneel, jump up and down, raise your hands, lift your voices. Make a joyful noise. Hallelujah. Let's go, boys and girls.